I want to begin this morning by just sharing a little of my journey as a child. Uh, my stepfather was in the uh, construction business. He had big trucks, he had dozers, he had a gravel crushing plant. And when we hung out with him, we would be out there watching all that mighty power at work. And it was just fun to be around it. I always wanted to drive stuff. And, and I think I got in a dozer once and almost ran it into an irrigation ditch. So not good stuff. But I, why I even raise this is I want to talk with us about power this morning and, and just think through some of the things in life that have impacted you, the, the powerful things around us. So maybe you guys have similar experiences to me. I know some of you farmers have big, powerful equipment, but just think, for with, think with me for a few moments about what all that looks like, uh, uh, just the powers that you've maybe seen, maybe you've experienced in your life, maybe you work with really heavy, uh, powerful equipment in these days. I remember Jolene and I, as we used to go back and forth to uh, Arizona, we would drive I-40 from Arizona back to Albuquerque, and, and there's this endless string of trains, you know, hundreds of cars, and maybe four, five, six, seven engines on one end, and six, seven engines on the back end, but just many, many, many uh, powerful entities like that. Those engines, probably 5,000 horsepower each. So I want to talk with you about that this morning. Think a little bit about some of the things that you've been around or, or maybe thought of, and we're going to have some pictures on the screen behind us that I'm going to just describe to you briefly of big things that have lots of power. So uh, for you farmers, here's a big tractor. I think there's about 10 tires on it, and I tried to count the plows but couldn't. Let's go on. This is a dozer, man. This is a D11. You got to climb up a ladder to get on it. Let's move on. That's a front end loader. Look at the, the guy's not even, I mean, the tire's three times taller than he is. And then Brutus. I want you to see this dude. There are little people down there by the tracks. This is a big machine. Let's go on one more. This may be the biggest engine in the world 109,000 horsepower. It drives. Cargo ships, that's power. So why do I want to talk about this? The reason I want to talk with this about, about all this is to talk and give us a perspective about God's power. We read these words in Hebrews 12, or excuse me, 11.3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We have not seen anything on this screen behind me that is even a, a, just a small nuance of the power of God. Just, just to explain that to you, think about the sun, which we really are enjoying in these days after the cold winter. The sun is so huge, you could put 1.3 million earths in its volume. Think about that. The size of the attractional force of the sun holds our, uh, our solar system together. And at its core, the sun is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. 27 million degrees. That's power. And that's just a little bit of what God made. So with that in, in mind, what, what I want us to do today, maybe, and this is new for me. I've never thought of God's word this way, but... When he spoke creation into existence, it's that same power and force behind the words that we're going to talk about today. 
remember that as we move forward, and I'll remind you of it often. The setting of the text today comes after the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking across uh, the lake to meet them in the night and then taking the boat on to Capernaum. The people, some of them stayed apparently back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and confused when they couldn't find Jesus the next morning because uh, there was only one boat. The disciples got in the boat and took off, and Jesus was still there on what would be the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. So they were confused where he was. You know, they couldn't find him. And uh, some boats came from Tiberias, so they got on that, went to Capernaum, and they found him there. And so the text picks up there, and it says, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, and his, nor his disciples, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum. So the text we're going to just ponder for a moment. When they found him on the other side of the sea, that is in Capernaum, they said, Rabbi, where did you come from to get here? So they found him with the disciples on the other side of the sea, and now the dialogue unfolds. In his discourse with these people, there are four incredible, powerful I think truths that are spoken by Jesus that reflect the power of the living God in the ways we just described. The first powerful truth is this. I am the only truth about life, Jesus says. Think about that. He's the only source of truth about this life we're living now. Here are his words. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to, in, to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And listen to this. We're going to talk about this. For on him God the Father has set his seal. What Jesus is saying to them, they came seeking more signs, more miracles. They uh, you know, just wanted more from him. Uh, it, it's amazing they didn't see perceptively into the bread of life that he's going to talk about in a moment when he fed them with these loaves and fishes. And, and so they come to him, not with full hearts, but with full bellies. And the word here for fill literally is the word used for fattening an animal for slaughter. And so they come without any spiritual understanding or perception at all. They, uh, they come before him, and he starts to talk with them about a food that will bring not just satisfaction to their hunger, but a food that will feed them spiritually, a food that will nourish them in that way. And they really didn't get all of that just yet. Uh, you know, we could go back to the Samaritan woman when Jesus first inter interacted with her. She wanted water with these people. They want bread. It's kind of the same thing. She came to faith. We don't see any of these coming just at this point yet. But anyway, this is the background. Uh, he he tells us, is the one who will bring eternal life to them. And we're going to see that fleshed out a lot more as we move forward in this passage. But he's speaking of people's spiritual hunger. We all have it. Some of us don't recognize it as soon as others. I didn't until I was almost 30. But when that hunger comes, there's only one source, only one place it will be filled. And it's through the truth about real life. Let's take a moment on this uh, section where he says, For on him God the Father has set his seal. That is a profound statement that Jesus makes. And in all honesty, just to show you how, how uh, numb I can be at times, I have never seen the impact of that statement as many times as I've read, read John's gospel and taught it. And it just it jumped out at me this week as we were reading it in the Abide Times. So 
Keep reading. Uh, you won't be uh, just amazed at what God shows you, but what, what is Jesus saying here? You know, uh, in his day, when an important letter was written to someone, they would send it sealed and send with a carrier, uh, a carrier to the person who was to get it. And that letter had great significance. And what Jesus is saying is, I come with the seal of the Father. I alone come with the seal of the Father. Think of that. He came bearing the majesty and the glory and the seal of God in his immaculate holiness, in the absolute truth of his teachings, and in the astonishing evidence of his miracles. He came as prophet, and he came also as priest to give us uh, and make atonement for us. And this is what's behind being sealed of God. He alone, by the mighty, powerful word of God, is the sole source of information and truth about life. Let's move on to the second truth. I am the only way to life, he says. The, uh, the Galileans that were there in Capernaum said, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This Listen, this is the clearest articulation of the gospel that I know about in all of Scripture. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Believe in Jesus. You know, these, uh, these Jews, uh, they thought it was all about doing God's, uh, doing righteous things, good things, uh, things that bless others and living righteously. But for 1,400, 1,500 years, they lived with God's law and they failed over and over and over again at fulfilling or keeping God's law. So in all of that, they, they were saying literally in their arrogance and self-sufficiency, they could do God's law. They could satisfy God if they just had the right formula. What are the things, God, you want us to do? And then we'll do them. And the reality is they didn't understand that they're sinners. We're all sinners. We all fall short. There's nothing any of us could ever do to, run, to, to win or deserve the righteousness of God except, Jesus says here, believe on the one he sent. Notice it goes from the plural. What are the works of God, they said, that we must do? And he said, the work of God, one thing, is to believe on me, the one whom God has sent. And what he's saying is, believe on me as the bearer of your sin. I took the penalty for your sin to the cross at Calvary. I died in your place. And then I rose from the dead, as we heard last week. Amazing. And Jesus brought all that. In. And I want you to understand and know when he said these words, the omnipotent, eternal power of our almighty God are behind these words. We, we need to read these words differently than any other words we've ever read or comprehended in our lives. They are the very word of God. And so he says that it's God's power spoken through Jesus. Let's go on to the third powerful truth. He says, I am the only nourishment of life. So he said to them, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our father ate the man in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven 
and gives life to the world. He said to them, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I, listen to this, I am the bread of life. He is the very source or sustenance or nourishment for any life that matters from God alone. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall, listen, not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you may that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. This is the third thing that Jesus says about his role in life, that he is the very source of it all. We see him unfold again to these Jews seeking uh, some kind of a sign or wonder. It's amazing. You wonder, I do the same thing, so I shouldn't, I shouldn't judge them. <laughs> the day before, they're eating from his hand this bread that had been multiplied and the fish that had been multiplied, and they want another sign, but they did. And that's, that's the struggle we all have with the flesh without faith. And so uh, he engages them in this uh, little bit of a dialogue about their desire for manna or more miracles. And literally, they, they ascribe the, the uh, bread to Moses. And Jesus really rebukes them and said, literally, hey, folks, the bread didn't come from Moses. It came from my Father in heaven who gave it to you. Moses just told you how to pick it up and use it. And then he goes on to say as well that what was really in view there was God's provision for spiritual life, the bread of heaven. And he goes on to say, I am the bread that my father sent. I am the bread of life. This is the first of seven profound I am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will live forever, he says in verse 48. Jason will get to touch on that next week. But understand that in God's economy, as we saw in, in the call to worship even, we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that comes from the Father's mouth, Deuteronomy 8.3. And Jesus is reminding of all these things when he, he makes this declaration and this proclamation. And remember again the power Behind those words, it's not just a man speaking. It is God speaking in all his omnipotent power and authority. The, the absolute power and finality of God's truth. The only source of life is Jesus. And yet these people still do not believe. The fourth truth. I am the only power for eternal life. Listen to these words, for in these words, he tells us six different ways that we are privileged to be those given eternal life. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I was joking with Jason this week, and I said, it, it is beyond my comprehension that the Spirit of God has put this text in front of us the week after Easter. 
And I said, I'm going to get up Sunday and tell everybody that he and I back in, in September when we started this journey in the book of John's planned all this out. And you will believe me, of course, right? <laughs> the Spirit of God brings these truths into our understanding on the week after Easter and enlarges the personal application of what the resurrection means for us. The first one, all who believe will come to Jesus. If you believe by the powerful, omnipotent word of God, your life's going to end in the presence of God. You're going to be with Jesus. All that the Father gives will come to me. If we're given by God, the place we will end up when this life is over is with him. That's power. And that's a promise that is supported and upheld by the omnipotent, eternal, almighty God who created the universe, not just the Son. Got that? Understand behind his words are these truths of his being. The second one, none who believe will ever be cast out. He says in this same verse, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The door to salvation, to relationship with Jesus is wide open. And let me tell you this, once you go in it, you will never be cast out. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never drive you away. There's nothing you can do as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you sin, you're still welcome. By all means, confess that sin. Turn away from that sin. Seek the Holy Spirit's power to not live in that sin any longer. But that sin is not going to keep you from his presence. He will not cast you out. The third one. None who believe will be lost. Listen to these words. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me. He's not going to lose one of us. If we're his, we will be there on that day. His call is irrevocable, and our presence with him is assured by the same God who created the universe. Know that. Live that. Believe that. That is the power of this word. All who believe, notice in every one of these statements is the word believe. All who believe will be raised up the last day. He says it in the scriptures this way, but raised up on the last day. This is the first time he says this. We're not going to just be with him in this life. There is a last day of this world, and we will be raised up in that day to be with him forever. For all of eternity. I can't even understand what that means, but I know it is a place without end, and it is a place in the eternal, glorious, joyous presence of our God. And Jesus will be there with us. He goes on with two more. All who believe will have eternal life. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in me shall have eternal life. Again, who said it? Who said it? Who, who can believe who said it? it? This is a place where everybody ought to be jumping up and down saying amen. So if you want to do that, go for it, and, and I'll just keep preaching. <laughs> All who believe will be raised up on the last day. This is a second uh, articulation of that. Speaking again of the resurrection personally for each of us because of our faith in Christ. Because we believe 
Because of our sin, we needed a Savior. We believe without question that Jesus was sinless, the perfect one who came with the seal of God. He bore our sin at Calvary, took our place there, died in our place, and then rose from the dead, as Jason reminded us last week. And all of this is a result of that. And remember, this is amazing. He was saying all this before he went to the cross. And he was saying all this before he was raised from the dead. This is the omnipotent, eternal power of God. Sadly, the Jews didn't believe. They thought they knew enough about his family that he couldn't say, because uh, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They rejected him. They walked away from him, and we know eventually they murdered him. But here is just another picture of spiritual blindness in the Bible. So powerful. These words are so powerful to understand for our lives. And I just want to leave you with three things. First, the power of God's word. If you take nothing else from this message today, take this. The same God who spoke this universe into creation says to you that one day he will raise you to eternal life. And he didn't just say it once. He said it six times in this little passage. You if you believe in him, we'll be with him forever. That's what our salvation is about. The omnipotent, eternal God will bring us to be with him. I, I love, uh, I don't know who's going to preach John 14, 3, but Jesus says there, I'm going to go prepare a mansion for us. And then he says, I'm going to come and take you to be there with me. Now, when I was a young parent, before I was a believer, we dumped our kids off just to get rid of them. We took them somewhere to be without us because we wanted a break. And the reality is what Jesus says to us is, I'm going to take you to be with me. And that's what's in view here. Take those words to the bank. Well, actually, don't take them to the bank. We can't trust the banks anymore. But we can trust the word of God. Build your life on these truths. You can build a secure, fulfilling, godly life that's living for King Jesus, for his eternal glory because of these truths. Know, as Jason taught, this a few weeks ago, taught us a few weeks ago about living under God's rule, this is one of the principles that we talked about. We can treasure and we can be transformed by these truths. This is the power of the word of God. Understand the power of Jesus' life. He said he came as the bread of life. He's the one who sustains us and spiritually nourishes us and, and gives us life. I, I love all the young kids here, and, and we just are watching them grow up because they're well-nourished, and they're eating, and they're growing, and they're doing uh, what God has created us and enabled us to do physically. But the same is true spiritually. You know, uh, the reality is God has given us this book, and this book is the product of his omnipotent, powerful, eternal word. Every word in it is his word. Every word in it carries the omnipotent power of God behind it. So ingest it, believe it, grow in it, think about it, pray over it. Uh, you, you can't have a Bible laying in your home thinking somehow it's going to, by osmosis, creep into your soul. It does not work that way. 
You know, the abide tool that we use brings us into connection with God's word and encourages us to read and study and, and grow in these things. And as we grow, someone asked Augustine this question, which came first, faith or knowledge? And the way he answered it was they come together. As your faith grows, you're empowered to understand and have greater knowledge of God. And as your knowledge of God grows, you're empowered to have greater faith, to do greater things for God. And as that faith grows, you're led into a deeper understanding of the knowledge of who God is. And it's an upward spiral of knowledge and faith that grows and grows based on the truth of this word. Grow. Grow in these truths. Be nourished and sustained by them. And lastly, the power of the resurrection. I don't know about you, but we're living in an increasingly uncertain world. Uh, the things that I hear, and I don't watch much of the news, I try to limit myself to about 10 minutes a day, that's all I can stand. But the reality is I cannot believe what's happening in this world. But I know one thing that is secure and uncertain, and it is the truth of what Jesus said here. There's a day coming when we will step out of this life and step into the eternal presence of Almighty God. It is, it is built upon, it is empowered by the omnipotent, eternal, almighty God. So go and live it. Live with boldness and live with confidence in these truths because they are the word of God. Live that way. And may it humble us, but may it also empower us to go and tell others. Let us pray. Father, as I've pondered these words of Jesus and the power that is revealed of you, the divine God and Father of Jesus, the one who sent him with your seal upon him, that everything that you have proclaimed in this book will come to pass. God, we celebrate that today as we Close with worship, may our hearts ring out in gladness and joy that we might live both here and now and then forever for your eternal kingdom. We thank you. We praise you for all these things in Jesus' name.